welcome to the podcast. My name is Father Bill W. I'm an Episcopal priest here in Austin, Texas. Been in recovery uh, coming up on 50 years, so I've been at this for a, uh, a fairly long period of time. My interests are uh, in three things. Um, the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, how it came about, because studying that history made a profound impact on my own program and uh, understanding of the second element, which is the spirituality present in the 12-step process. And, and then thirdly, I like to look at the psychology that uh, underlies it and maybe pulls it together in some ways that people who struggle with the uh, religious element of things can maybe kind of come in the back door and uh, I've always been kind of a backdoor guy. So, so that's, uh, th th those are my uh, three principal areas. And of course, the, the main one, which I think pulls them all together, is the thing I discovered in the history called two-way prayer, you know, and uh, that came as a real shock to me, never heard of it in uh, my own 12-step journey, and uh, started practicing it, and it just opened me up to a whole new dimension of relationship with the higher power that has been going on for 30 years and uh, uh, has just been phenomenal. You know, it's a, it's a personal element. It's a personal element uh, for somebody who doesn't get personal real easily. So <laughs> that's what I kind of liked about it. So um, why don't you go to the, uh, to the website and, and check out Two Way Prayer. It's uh, under that name. And we are starting a new series now. Um, and you have probably heard many, many people in 12-step in programs say, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That's always kind of gotten my attention. Um, and I probably said it myself for the first, my first 20 years or so uh, as I kind of came in the back, that back door. But this series wants to explore those two concepts of uh, what does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be religious? And my guest is really uh, the perfect one to uh, begin us on this journey. Uh, his name is Professor Stephen Haynes. He's professor of religious studies at Rhodes College up in Memphis, and he's adjunct professor of recovery at uh, Fuller Theological Seminary. And uh, Stephen has written a new book. It's a wonderful book, really important book, I think. And it's titled, Why Can't Church Be More Like an AA Meeting? And in it, he explores the similarities and the differences between these communities of faith and recovery. So welcome, Stephen. I've really been looking forward to this, uh, this interview. So great to have you. And congratulations on the new book. I put a link to it in the show notes, and I hope folks will go out there and uh, and buy it and help make up for your poor salary as a, a struggling professor. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. <laughs> I appreciate your kind introduction. It's great to have you. So, uh, uh, Stephen, you, you you've traveled in both of these two worlds, you know, and uh, and I think that's what makes you perfect for writing in depth as you do about what each has to offer, how they, how they compare, contrast. And so why don't you start off by uh, kind of giving us some, some of uh, your own personal journey through faith, 
and then your journey into recovery. Yeah, thanks, Bill. So I've been a Christian since I was a teenager um, and grew up in a evangelical church. It was part of a evangelical subculture of the 70s. And mm. like a lot of people from that era sort of grew up and out of it to some extent. Um, I found myself in the main line of, of Protestant Christianity of my denomination, Presbyterian Church, uh, in, by the late 80s. And, but I've never lost that evangelical sensibility. And part of that is a kind of spiritual hunger for what they used to call in the Oxford group vital religious experience, right? right. Something that's personal and real and goes beyond the intellect. So I was ordained to be a minister of word and sacrament in the Presbyterian Church about the same time that I started my teaching career. So I've, hmm. since I, uh, in the last 30 years or so, I've tried to maintain this sort of dual vocation between somebody who is uh, a pastor, at least part-time in a voluntary capacity, and somebody who's a full-time professor. So I've never lost a sense of sort of dwelling at the intersection of these two um, these two worlds, but in recently, the last 13 years, that really, that, that intersection really changed for me, um, and I'll tell you about that if you're ready for this, for that part yeah. of my story. Sure. Um, so in 2008, uh, my wife went to treatment, which was, turned out to be a great thing for her and, and for her family, um, and as part of that, I didn't realize it at the time, but part of her treatment program the, the end of the 45 days or so was something called family week oh i know it well <laughs> which i've come to think of as a cruel euphemism for something very very different it sounds kind of celebratory and happy but family week was was really um a profound experience for me a difficult one at the time basically the way i describe it is that the spotlight that's been on you know, the identified patient for right. however many days gets turned on members of the family. And since I was the only member of the family there, it was fully on me. So I came home from that with some desire still to help my wife and understand her, but a bigger desire at that time to understand myself and understand why I had, you know, acted in certain ways and why I was put together the way I was. And I was 50 at the time. So I was at that point in life where you kind of hope you have things figured out and I realized that I didn't. I subsequently realized that you never figured it out. But at the time, it seemed a reasonable assumption. But <laughs> I came back and I got involved in a therapy practice that was very pro 12 step. I didn't really know that at the time, but they dealt with addiction and, and trauma. And mm -hmm. one of the requirements for being part of this group was to start attending 12 step meetings. So I did so because I was a good soldier and uh, started going and I went sort of out of necessity at first, and then mm -hmm. out of curiosity and finally out of a sense of identity and a sense that I belong there. And I'm still going 13 years later. So that's how I got into recovery. And I can say a little bit about where my sort of sense of the spiritual religious, you know, continuum uh, in the, the conflicts there uh, came up for me. Um, yeah, when my yeah. wife, my wife came back from treatment, we, we entered a therapeutic separation. And it was recommended to us that 
during that separation, we go to a 12-step fellowship called Recovering Couples Anonymous, which I had never heard of. And it's, it's fairly, it's, it's not, you, you don't find it in every city, but we were very fortunate. There was a, you know, very active chapter of Memphis. And so we started to go and we kept going. And eventually we got a sponsor couple and we worked the steps together and, and um, we're still going to that. But as it turned out, the meetings for RCA were on Saturday evenings. And so we go to the meeting and experience this aura of hope and support and compassion and mutual brokenness. And then we'd go out to dinner with people and really connect. And then we go to church the next day. Yeah. And I love my church, but it was, you know, people are dressed up everything's okay. How are you? Fine. I'm fine. Are you fine? Yeah, we're all fine. fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you, you actually know because you've gone there long enough, you know, they're not fine. Um, right. And you know, you're not fine. But the contrast between this sort of um, spiritually rich and transformative uh, community that you've that you've put together uh, on or that you've experienced on Saturday nights is, go is going to go through that uh, quandary when when you come into 12 step because it's very different it ought to be the same it ought to be complementary but it has some rough edges i mean i've yeah. always said there are two communities that ought to be very closely intertwined the big books actually says that you know go see yeah. where religious people are right but it, so we had go see where religious people are wrong <laughs> Yeah, it ought to feel familiar. And yeah. this is the experience that, that I have with students. So I teach a class at Rhodes on addiction, recovery, and spirituality. And I teach a class at Fuller on the spirituality of the 12 steps. And in both cases, students are required to go to 12-step meetings. So these are, certainly in the Fuller case, these are students who are very well-versed in church. And, and almost to a person, they say, wow, I had no idea what it was really like, but this is what I thought church would be like. Why isn't this experience more familiar to me? And they, there's a kind of anger and disappointment and sense yeah. of betrayal that comes out of that. Mm -hmm. No, the, tit the title is, is uh, it names it. It, it. it names it and it introduces us to uh, how, how you can uh, maybe kind of help us go into those two worlds, see where the similarities are, where, where the differences are. Sam Shoemaker wrote um, an article, and I saw you quoted it, in the yeah. book, what the church has to learn from AA. And I always wanted to write the corollary to that. You know, is there something that AA has to learn from the church? And I believe there is, but it's a difficult learning curve. Yeah. And most people don't, uh, don't go there. They just yeah. separate them. I'm spiritual, right. I'm not religious, and off we go. And I think it's a loss. It's dangerous ground, and I thought you did a, a marvelous job commenting on, on the strengths and weaknesses of the various approaches of people who have tried uh, to pull these uh, communities together, uh, some successfully, some not. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and, and dig into it. Um, yeah. I do encourage people to go get the book. So I'm going to focus this episode primarily on chapter two. Of, uh, of Stephen's book, because uh, it, it really lays out interesting points that I, I want to get into. And, and we're going to start with the, the differences. So, uh, and, and the first is, 
in AA, people present themselves in their brokenness. Talk about that. Yeah, that's, well, that's this how you is came in. Yeah, this is true, I think, whether it's explicit or not, because even if you don't say anything, the fact that you're there, as people say in the meetings, means you're not on a winning streak. <laughs> <laughs> right? So right. there's a kind of, whether you open your mouth or not, there's a kind of a, because that that barrier has been passed, right? That that sort of ticket has been punched, like, yes, I'm not okay, I'm not fine. Mm-hmm. that's where real connection can happen and real identification. And um, most people are sort of so attracted to that, that they keep coming back, even if it's painful to walk through the door the first time. That was my experience. That was my experience. There's, there's something very different here that, that I've, I know I need to be in touch with and I'm not. Right. You know, that's um kind of shadow shadow stuff that's uh, laying down there uh, and, and ready to come into consciousness. Yeah. Um, so the second you say is pe- people in, and I say AA, but I'm really yeah. talking 12 step. It, yeah. it, it's any 12 step fellowship. So people yeah. in 12 step fellowships are desperate and in search of transformation. Yeah, I think I might might have taken that language from Sam Shoemaker, actually. Um, a couple of the things, these things, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're right out of his, and, his work. And by the way, so what I found when I started doing this research is that Sam Shoemaker had written a rather famous article by that title in the 50s, but mm-hmm. that people had kept re-asking that question. Christians had, had been re-asking that question since the 50s, and in a kind of steadily ascending you know, pitch so that by the time we get to 2000, people are writing blog posts and articles and stuff all the time with questions with titles like, why can't the church be more like AA or how the church can church be more like an AA meeting. But this idea of transformation, yeah, so I think Shoemaker makes the point that, you know, if you come to church for, um, for social reasons or because the best people are doing it or because it's a habit transformation is not going to happen because you're not prepared for it. But if you come in desperate and open, and as people say in the, in the rooms, you know, take the cotton out of your ears, put it in your mouth. Uh, if you listen and you're, uh, you know, take what you take, what works, leave the rest, then transformation is really possible and you can feel this happening. And when it does, then you start to wonder why church isn't more transformational for most people especially if they've been going a long time, because it, you know, it gets to be rather familiar and, and sort of comforting. And, and the ministers oftentimes don't want to shake things up too much. Yeah. Let's, so God, of, let's not offend anybody, you know? One of the things I say in the book that I kind of hesitated to say, but I'll, I'll say again, because I think mm-hmm. it's true. I think if a, if a church is serious about adopting recovery as it's, identity or becoming recovery friendly one thing that has to happen is the, is the pastor has to be in recovery mm-hmm. or at least has to be familiar with 12 familiar enough with 12 step spirituality that they're they're going to meetings because that uh, is so crucial to setting the tone right about surrender and humility and right. uh, true spirituality that if the tone is not set from the from the top and from the pastoral level it you know in some respect, then it's really hard to break through all the 
you know, trappings of. Um, yeah. And I hear you say going to meetings, it has to be at the level of one's own involvement. Otherwise, it's theoretical. Yeah. So and I you feel that. I feel that. I know, I know a lot of people who just love 12 step. They're in the church, you know, but and they've never been to a meeting, won't go to a meeting, you know, yeah. and, and so they come at it intellectually. I had an experience with somebody in my church. So my church is, I, I wouldn't say it's recovery friendly, but we have a lot of people in recovery in the church mm-hmm. who have varying degrees of comfort in, you know, making that fact known. And one of them who was actually on the staff and didn't really want it to be known was mentioned confidentially to another member of the staff, you know, about it was out of a 12 step meeting. And this pastor said, oh, I'll work the steps with you. This, this person who said that has never been in a recovery meeting. So there's this idea that, that this is just sort of a, another tool for, you know, successful right. living um, that, you know, you can just add on to whatever else you've, um, you know, has become your identity in the church. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and transformation really goes to the key. I, you know, when people talk about the, the 12th step, they almost always focus immediately on going out and helping others. Yeah. Rather than having undergone the psychic change, the transformation, which the steps are designed to bring about. Yeah. So this was a challenge for me. So I was 50 years old. I had a PhD in theology and I was an ordained minister and I was asked to, you know, work the steps my sponsor was a contractor who didn't know much about what I did, nor did he care. Yeah. Um, but he was very honest with me about what would keep me sober. And so we did all the steps. And I found that by step 12, I was having a spiritual awakening, which really surprised me. I thought I had passed that point somehow or had, right. you know, was where I was going to be. But uh, for me, it involved something very simple, which is trusting God. Do you trust God or do you not? And all the degrees and all the, you know, references to the tradition and so forth uh, can't help you there, right? It's not about belief. It's not about questions you can answer. Uh, It's about, you know, are you willing to trust a higher power? And and that's really a great equalizer. Yeah. And what is my relationship? To me, it's an intimacy issue. Yeah, right. You know, Uh... Yeah, and Which it bypasses would... the brain, right? It bypasses the the rational faculty to, to a large extent. And that's where I wanted to live with, with my faith. And hey, um, <laughs> it, it, who can I blame always... you? Yeah, and you're I, in and control. I... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was kind of humbling for me, right? To acknowledge, um, but also very freeing and and was spiritually transformative for me. And and, and yeah, and that that is the transformation. It's it's the ego. Uh, becoming humble, getting itself in right relationship with, and I love this expression, with the beyond that is within. Mm-hmm. The beyond that is within. As long as I think it's beyond, the within is going to try to be in control. But yeah, if it's like already that. in there, uh, what I was told, you know, it's, it's right relationship. Boy, mm-hmm. I had, a, had some people in early recovery who just stressed that be in right relationship ego has to be in right relationship you know you have to have an ego but it's got to be right sized yeah and i think the book particularly the first few chapters you know chapter five 
That's what it's, it's really geared towards, is getting that relationship right. Uh, third point. Um, assumptions about how respectable you are or how deserving, but there's this sense of wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever your problem is, we're going to envelop you in care and we're going we're gonna to treat you as one of us, whether you identify as a newcomer or not. And this is really powerful. Uh, so I've had more than one student who they get through this, this assignment and they tell me after the class is over, you know what, I'm still going to Allen on meetings or I've joined ACA or mm -hmm. I can't stop going to these meetings because they, you know, at first it was just a curiosity, but they've become really personal to me. There, there's something about them that, that brings me in. I took a psychiatrist. I was running a treatment center out in Arizona years ago. And I, and I took the uh, attending psychiatrist to a meeting. She'd never been to one. And she left in tears. Yeah. In tears. I mean, it touched her that years and years of study uh, internships didn't come close to. And you could, you yeah. could sense it. You know? Yeah. That sounds analogous to the experience I had for my first few meetings. You know, once I sort of loosened up and... Uh, let go of the protective stuff mm -hmm. that told me I wasn't supposed to be there. Right. Yeah. Uh, you meet the ego. Mm -hmm. Jung, Jung, Jung says anytime the ego comes in contact with the great reality, it, it experiences it as a defeat. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what he's talking about here. Interesting. Yeah. That, that uh, the ego, which was playing God in, in my inner life, has now met God yeah. and, and, oh, <laughs> oh, it's you, <laughs> it's not me, you know? And uh, man, that's, uh, that's everything. Mm. That's everything. If that relationship is right, if it's in place, it makes all the difference. And, and to me, step 10 is always about watching, watching that because what Jung says, it's impossible not to inflate. Mm -hmm. So you have to watch for inflations as they come along. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's, it's going to reemerge in some uh, new clever form. But there it is again. So it's, uh, it's back to the same thing. You comment uh, number four on uh, AA's informality and lack of hierarchy. Yeah. So one of the things I do in the book is, uh, and this is how I met you actually, is, I, you know, I traveled around and observed and participated in lots of different sort of Christian themed recovery ministries or, you know, recovery that was, uh, you know, efforts to bring recovery into the church. And mm -hmm. so I went to a lot of Celebrate Recovery meetings. People will have heard of Celebrate Recovery. It's a very successful sort of church growth movement started in the 90s in California. And I don't know what percentage of churches in America have Celebrate Recovery, but a lot of them, there are thousands of them. And so I went to Celebrate Recovery meetings to the Celebrate Recovery Summit in California. And it, over time, I realized that there were several sort of dimensions of Celebrate Recovery that were incompatible with the 12-step ethos, even though Celebrate Recovery gets credit for making an effort, you know, to adapt right. recovery. But one of them was the hierarchy part where you've got a national leader, you've got regional leaders, you've got state leaders, 
local leaders, and they're all very clearly identified. They wear T-shirts that tell you what their rank is, as it were. Um, so, and that just struck me as, a, and I had to see that in action to realize how important it was that that was absent in AA, right? And it was absent in 12-step fellowships. There, there's no, there's no ranking. You do have old timers who have a kind of implicit authority. Oh, right? yes. Oh, yes. And, and, and to me, this is, hey, you can learn something from religion over there, you know, mm. and I see a lot of that trying to sneak in. You know, just like the, the scripture traces the lineage of Jesus, you know, back to Abraham and Adam right. and all of that sort of stuff. I, I hear people in 12-step doing the same damn thing. Well, my sponsor was sponsored by, was sponsored by, was sponsored by. And, you know, you almost get back to Jesus, but... Uh, <laughs> kind of apostolic succession of, That's of sponsors. It. Yeah. That's it. And, and to become a star. Yeah. To become a star in your 12 steps. So, I mean, yeah. I think the 12 step fellowships have really got to study what happens in religion, how, how the transformational element gets lost, because yeah. I think we're starting to repeat some of those same uh, errors. Yeah, that's really interesting. Fortunately, that has not been my experience in the, in the fellowships I've been involved in. It's been much more democratizing. So one of the things that fascinates me is that my friends in recovery are so unlike me. You know, most of the people I hang out with as an academic are other academics, and it's a pretty rarefied environment. My friends are people who are real estate agents and contractors and machinists. And, um, and when we get together for lunch, assuming we can find a common topic of conversation, there's a great sort of leveling there right this oh absolutely equality what uh, one scholar calls you know the sort of alcoholic equalitarianism right we're all in this we're all at the same level and it really is refreshing for me because uh all that rank and you know letters after the name and stuff like that uh is absent but i think you're right that's that can creep in and yeah it's unfortunate that it does i mean wilson wilson should not be remembered for the 12 steps as he is. I mean, because those really came out of the Oxford group. 10, 10 right. out of 12 came directly from Shoemaker, he said, you know, but the traditions, how you keep yeah. this organization from screwing up. Right. And merchandising. That's right. Um, and I looked at the traditions uh, after that experience, and there's there's some line like it says, we were irrepressible. Um, promoters. That's right. And and the reason that we had to adopt this tradition that we won't, you know, that it's attraction, not promotion, <laughs> it is precisely because this is our nature. And I think if Celebrate Recovery would really study the traditions, you know, they could get closer to a to to a ethos. I will say this though, and this uh, this I have to acknowledge about Celebrate Recovery. It's they've created a paradigm shift within Christianity because in a Celebrate Recovery meeting, you introduce yourself, you lead with your brokenness, whatever that is, even if you kind of uh, brokenness that I think can be transformative in a church, even if it doesn't imply the whole ethos of AA. That's right. Uh, the, the next section, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to group it, but uh, composition, leadership, uh, yeah. goals, etc. How, how would you, what's the category here that you, you're coming at? 
Well, by the way, I, I want to say that I borrowed that in that section on the differences between church culture and recovery culture. Uh, yeah. I borrowed from Dale Ryan, who started the recovery studies program at Fuller, is now retired, um, but was also uh, one of the leaders of the National Association of Christian Recovery. And so I found his mm -hmm. analysis of the of the culture is very interesting. And he, he, he analyzes three. It's church culture, recovery culture, therapeutic culture. And, mm -hmm. and they're all different. And, you know, they overlap, obviously. And in that intersection, you can you can find some interesting connections. But, you know, composition is, you know, you have a church group and people come if they're available on Wednesday night. And there's no, uh, unless you advertise that this is for recovering people or, or addicts or families of addicts, there's not going to be a kind of singleness of purpose that the AA is known for. Um, typically, you're going to find a lot of crosstalk in church groups. Um, mm -hmm. I have a men's group at my church. It's been going on for years. And probably the biggest challenge in the early years was trying to get them to stop fixing each other <laughs> and stop giving advice and cross-talking because I had learned in, in my 12-step experience just how deadly that is to the spirit. So that's a, a big one people want to fix. Um, and, and there's a the tendency to want to expand it. You know, I mean, uh, I, I came in the program a long time ago. Alcoholics, yes. Drug addicts, no, right. no, no. Uh, and go start your own. Some yeah. I understand that. I mean, I understand yeah. the importance of identification. And if yes. I can't identify with people, uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to plug in. Well, RCA is interesting because um, people, the, the members of RCA are generally members of other 12-step fellowships, but it can be any 12-step yeah. fellowship. Right. What they have in common at RCA is a sense of powerlessness around their own relationship and you know, trying to recover that celebrate recovery again is a good example i think their motto is is uh something habits hang-ups and something or other mm -hmm. hurts habits and hang-ups right right that that's the ultimate you know inclusive phrase to describe you know dysfunction everybody's welcome and it turns out about a third of people who go to celebrate recovery according to their own numbers are at traditional you know substance addicts the rest are you know children of alcoholics or their, you know, Al-Anon types or something like right. that. But when you are that inclusive, right, you lose that singleness of purpose. And there's, there's a real diffuse sense of what, you know, recovery is. It's, it's a, it's an understanding. It's understandable. The church wants to be all inclusive, right? Uh, doesn't want to exclude anybody. And maybe there are ways to do that, but it's, I think it's, there's a danger. Yeah, it's it's the singleness of purpose. Uh, I had an interesting discussion. I, I uh, met with the head of the remains of the Oxford Group. It's now called Initiatives of Change, hmm. and um, had a very good discussion. That he said, you know, well, we tried to be inclusive to everybody. AA tried to be somewhat exclusive with the singleness right. of purpose. Yeah. You have grown phenomenally we have shrunk down uh, yeah. uh, significantly. That's Maybe fascinating. Maybe had the right choice. Yeah, I, I think it got a lot right. <laughs> yeah, there were a yeah, lot of things we, we took and some things we left behind. 
Yeah. And that's and Wilson was a brilliant sociologist. Yeah. And not you taking know, money from outside was, right. was obviously huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not taking Rockefeller's money or, or not getting given. He yeah. wanted it, Rockefeller's money. Talk about a providential <laughs> like moment in the history of AA. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And his ego got him into all sorts of trouble too. So um, uh, nothing like learning from yourself. I mean, that's yeah. ultimately where you do it. The, the other, the next one you list, we, we maybe covered is the leadership issue. Uh, I don't yeah. think we need to go into that. The goals. Let's go to the goals. The go and we touched on this too. Personal transformation is the goal in 12-step. What is the goal in church? I don't know. I've taught a lot of Sunday school classes on a lot of different topics. And I think the goal generally is to is intellectual enrichment. Yeah. Maybe a debate on, you know, um, current issues. Mm -hmm. um, pro exercising the mind while the kids are in Sunday school. I don't know. It's not transformation. And um, right. I've thought about teaching a 12-step Sunday school class at my church where it would sort of, you know, you'd spend a week on each step. And I, I still may do that. Week, you know, and it, 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 it was somewhat brutal. Yeah. Maybe the first time I observed it, it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Uh, I called my wife. I said, you know, I was interviewing for a, a program that specialized in family week uh, therapy, you know, family therapy. So they're beating up on the poor alcoholic, you know? Yeah. But I saw what happened to the poor alcoholic. You know, if it's done, if it's done brutally, no, that, that's not right. But if it's done compassionately, that you're, that you're bringing honesty, you yeah. have to know what it was like for me as a right. family member. Yeah. I went to my son's family week. I was kind of disappointed in it because it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's gotten so tepid. Over, it's become like family day now in a lot family of Family day, yeah. family hour, you know? Yeah. It's like, no, you got to dive into this thing. Yeah. And uh, we used to do that. I mean, hell, we were supposed to end at four o'clock in the afternoon. Sometimes we go to six or seven at night. Yeah. I mean, we weren't going to quit until there had been a breakthrough. Yeah. And the breakthroughs are required. Either you get, like you're saying, either you get the breakthrough out there, or if you can uh, uh, um, manage it in a group setting, you can get it there. Mm -hmm. You can get it there. But it's, uh, it's, it's hot stuff. I mean, it's very yeah. volatile. You know? yeah. Most people want to wanna, stay away from this. Yeah, so, I, I, I was tempted to leave after the first day. I thought that probably wasn't therapeutically a good decision. But... And I could see it, the other people there for family week kind of walking back to the villa with their heads down. <laughs> they had experienced something similar. Right. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Uh, now we, we touch on this as well, but in group process is uh, it, it, that it leads to discussion in the church, but personal experience is what's valued in 12 step. We, we don't yeah. want your opinion. Right. And we don't um, want your opinion about what someone else said. And, and right. we don't want your suggestion about how someone else's problem might be fixed. Exactly. You know, I laugh about that now. I, I used to think that was exactly what, what happened in church. And yeah. when I when I first started this men's group, you know, somebody would lose their job. And the first thing that would happen is people would start pulling out recommendations for people, you know, folks they could talk to and stuff. And I just right. had to say, stop. 
he just lost his job. Let's talk about what that's like. What does it feel like? What does that feel yeah. like? Yeah. Where's my identity now? Right. Uh, Jung told, uh, or the story was told about Jung, a guy, a guy went to uh, his um, therapy session and he had just gotten a promotion at work. So he's inflated, you know, he's made vice president of this, that, or the other thing. And Jung says to him, well, that's very nice, but I don't think we're going to get much work done today. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after midlife, success has nothing to teach a person. Yeah. It's one more success. Yeah. But failure has everything to teach a person. You know, it has everything to teach us. And that's when I'm open to... Yeah. Um, to transformation, to change. It's only when the ego has experienced the defeat mm -hmm. that, that change is likely to happen. You know? Work with people who are you know, afraid of uh, uh, in, you know, economic insecurity. And I push them, you know? Hey, Joe, you know, you gotta, you're amongst the top 3% in the United States economically. You told me that. Mm -hmm. he, can, he comes back and says, actually, Bill, I lied. I'm among the top 1%. <laughs> so it doesn't matter the amount. It, it matters the impact that, that it, it's having inside. You talk about universal, inclusive, non-dogmatic. You're getting at the spirituality element here. That that's what you, you're going to find in 12-step, that it's very broad. The spirituality that's presented is very broad, while in the church, it tends to be, you know, we're, we're going to hone in on, on a few things here. You must believe this. You must believe that. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, maybe we can get into this in a later podcast, Bill, mm -hmm. but I, I've been struck recently by some research about, you know, spiritual versus religious, okay. and there's a lot of evidence that <clears throat> it's not a clean... Um, dichotomy. This year, a Fetzer Institute survey yes. came out, and basically, the majority of people are both spiritual and religious to some extent. Right. <clears throat> so, sixty or seventy percent. You know, they may be very spiritual and a little religious, but anyway, they qualify as both. So, this idea of of two discrete categories um, is is not accurate. And there's also some work done in sociology of religion by Nancy Ammerman and others that talk about lived religion and, mm -hmm. and how, again, spirituality and, and religion are also often intertwined. And I think maybe the church is, is behind in this because people who are, they have a spiritual life, but they feel like they can't necessarily reveal it in church because it's not appropriate. So they're part of an AA group or they're part of a Lectio group or they're part of a, um, you know, centering prayer group, but it doesn't find a place in the in the life of the church i think the church has to do a lot better job of going where spirituality and religion intersect and maybe religion isn't the right word maybe churchiness is a better way to describe is it not ritual and ceremony yeah that is needed and tradition that go way back and when i go into church i have an experience of that if if there's enough aliveness there now i've been yeah. in some holland for example i mean just so dead. Yeah. I mean, there was no, not a spark. There wasn't yeah. a spark. You know? right. Whereas I go to a sweat lodge 
<laughs> you know, and man, there's fire, you know, yeah, literally it, and figuratively, it, literally and figuratively, you know, and that's what I'm looking for, yeah. you know, how do how, and I long for is that, and I think the church has that if it will recognize it and open it up more to people, mm-hmm. uh, you know, yeah. it, it has to be more inclusive, you know. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to finish up, and then uh, these attitudes, uh, you, you comment on respectability, intellectual sophistication. These are the, some of the dangers of the church that they need to look at. That it's, well, you know, Some I mean, of the for, things that, yeah, that keep church people from thinking that 12-step spirituality has anything to offer them, right? Right. So... It's, it's difficult when you feel like religion is an emblem of respectability, it's, it's hard to see how 12-step spirituality really connects with that, since, as we talked about at the outset, mm. you walk in, you're basically saying, I'm not one of the respectable people, or I right. want to be thought of that way, but I've actually got a problem that I need to address. And then intellectual sophistication, I think, you know, when you think about some of the slogans that are associated with, with AA and some of the, some of the sort of what, what seem like simplistic uh, solutions to complex problems. Um, so there's a simplicity about it that's maybe belies its effectiveness. And uh, pardon me for the language, but it, it works because it has taken from religion some of those transforming elements that religions today, denominations today, uh, are not providing. Yeah. It's feeding the soul. Right. Which is which is starving for it. Yeah, I go back to the phrase vital religion, which was vital, used that's right. in, in that's the right. Oxford group and by Schumacher and others. Yeah. And when I first heard that, I didn't really give it its full due, but I think it really described you, you can tell when you walk in a room whether the room is vital or not. You can tell if you walk into a group, a, a therapy group. You can right. tell if you walk into a treatment center. Yep. I mean, institutions have to go through recovery every bit as much as do individuals. That was one Hmm. of the great lessons that I learned a long time ago from a very wise man, that just as an individual has to undergo transformation, so do institutions. And just like an individual can lose his or her vitality, his or her connection to the source, Mm -hmm. so too can institutions. And they're Mm -hmm. they're dying. And, and in AA, this, the, the, theoretically at least, this rationalities will let them die. Mm-hmm. If they're no longer connecting people to the source, let them go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's really, really important. And, and Wilson said something I thought was, I haven't found the quote again, I came upon it years ago, but he said one of the great dangers is that AA will become a religion. Yeah. And I think he's absolutely right. I mean, someone sent me years ago a 12-step rosary. Yeah. <laughs> Thought it was very sweet. <laughs> yeah. But man, look out. We're, we're, we're yeah. heading for trouble. Well, listen, uh, I'm going to wrap this up because um, uh, we've got a lot to get to. Uh, a couple more episodes uh, you, you've graciously consented to doing. with. In the next episode, I would like to kind of get to what was this vital vitality that Oxford Group got in touch with yep. and where that came from. And we don't want to really dig into Good. that. Good, yeah. If we can't maybe help people in 12-step, 
see some of the original stuff, just yeah. like people in the church. I mean, it's the same thing, you know. Jesus was, you know, always getting in trouble for hanging around with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. uh, so there we go. Listen, Stephen, this has been terrific. I was so looking forward to this, and I, I'm not disappointed. And I hope our listeners have uh, benefited from it. I know they have. I know they have. Yeah, so, me too. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for uh, for the research that you did on this. It's a fascinating book. We're going to dig into it a little bit more deeply in a couple of the episodes ahead. So Good. thank you for, for being with us. And I want to thank all of you guys out there uh, for taking the time to listen. And if we offended any of you, uh, good. <laughs> See what that was about. See you next time. Thanks for listening. God bless. And uh, do keep coming back.